Would you open God's precious holy word to 1 Thessalonians 5 as we complete 1 Thessalonians today. And I'm, if you please, because these words are so rich, I have my, my Greek text here because what's up there is harder to see than what's right in my face. So I'll take the easy route here. <clears throat> and as I go through and read it straight, it may be a little different in its form from what you see up there, but basically the same. I want to exegete this passage, this final passage. My daddy would say, if you do, you'll clean it up. I'm going to exegete. Because these words are rich, our relationship with God, these are a series of imperatives. This, what's, this is what makes it so important. One imperative after another. In other words, this is an apostolic command, a series of commands given in closing regarding this first letter given to the uh, Thessalonians. So let's look at it together here. Now I have to start all over because my phone put itself to sleep. Well, it's pretty bad when your phone is bored with your sermon and it just goes to sleep. <laughs> Hurts my feelings. I'm going to trade you in, Mr. Phone, and stomp on you. First Thessalonians, here we go. <laughs> there it is. It's just like it was a while ago. It hadn't changed. The infallible word of God. Well, shoot, let me see if I can read it up here. Where's my clicker? <laughs> I thought I could read it here, but maybe I'm better off up there. First apostolic command. Be joyful. Well, maybe I can. Always rejoice. Pantote. Pan means all. Tote means when or time. All whens. <laughs> all times now this is for the believer always what carete two words there the first one comes from the word which means grace and the other one is joy grace joyed you're going to see an emphasis here one reason I wanted us to look at the original text is because of the emphasis on grace. And grace is not always the word that is used in translating by translators, by translating a particular word. They, I guess, seek to use a familiar English word. Translation is so tricky. Boy, we're on holy ground. We just, you know... 
but just to look at it straight. All times, grace joyed. I'm at joy. I am joyful in grace. God has saved me by grace. He didn't have to do anything for me. So there should never be a time in my life where I am not reminded joyfully of the grace of God. Even in times of grieving, even in times that are difficult, against the long panoramic view of my life, which includes eternity, I should be filled with joy because of grace at all of my wins, <laughs> at all of my times to be grace joyed. Second apostolic command. These are all imperatives in the Greek. It's a command, imperative, okay? Second is to be prayerful. Now, we know what pray is. Pray unceasingly. The alpha prefix negates the rest of it. So that means no. Adia leptos. Adia leptos. Dia means across. And leptos comes from a word um, that means uh, to, to put aside a breach. It means, it means without remission, without any necessary stoppage. Not across the, the circle the way. It comes down to being a Christian who is under the command to pray without intermission, without remission, without an interval. That's what the word means, really, across an interval, without across an interval, or, or without interval. No interval, no, no crossing. Um, there is in my heart always a prayer. As we grow in Christ, we should find ourselves increasingly in a state of prayer. I mean, when we're driving somewhere, when we are doing whatever we are doing, there are always times, even in times of fellowship or, or eating at the supper table, wherever, there are times as we grow in Christ in our maturity where we recognize something in our hearts that in our minds we briefly acknowledge before God. Might be a need. You see something like we have our shallow page and I'm, I'm immediately led to prayer in my heart when I read about things and needs 
and heartaches and sorrows and sicknesses and death and whatever. I'm, I'm immediately at that moment in time, I am led, I'm unctioned, I am compelled in my heart to pray. So along the day in my life, there is not an interval within activities that leads me away from prayer, but rather leads me more into prayer. Now, we're not, we're not talking about one of these all-night prayers at the top of the mountain on a rock altar like Jesus did. We're talking about through the intervals of the day of, the day of life, but without interval in prayer. You may go from one thing to the next in your personal activity during the day, but the next thing brings to mind something that you should pray about. A series of, of prayer, albeit brief prayers. I don't know. Maybe you just want to crawl under the table at supper and just start a long prayer. I just don't know. It's up to you, between you and God. But the point is, there is, there is no such crevice or chasm in the course of my life in a day that causes me not to want to pray. This is, this is an apostolic command, and this is what Paul is saying. You should learn to always acknowledge the sovereign and divine hand of God in anything and everything that comes before you. It may be a third party in a discussion with someone else. It may be something you see. It may be something you are experiencing or you are afraid you're going to experience. Pray without unnecessary interval. In other words, don't, don't let the spaces come too, too, don't let them be too wide. Pray without remission. Next apostolic command to be thankful. Now this is a good word. They're all good words. Good heavens, what's a bad word? In everything. Eucharistete. You means good. And again, the root is grace. Charis. You see it? Well, take my word for it. Good grace. In everything. Pante. In all everything. Good grace. Now, the way it's translated is you acknowledge this good grace by giving thanks. But the, but the root of the whole thing in the teaching is 
that whatever is happening, it's good grace. Well, there's no such thing as bad grace. But this is an extra emphasis on the grace of God. Good grace. Whatever it is, it's working out for my good. Good graced. And everything, good graced. Whatever it is, it is God's grace for your good. Thus, the acknowledgement of the grace of God, giving thanks. For this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. What is God's will? That you acknowledge the good grace of God in everything. This is God's will in Christ Jesus for you. What is? That you acknowledge the good grace of God in everything. It may seem bad. But it's going to be good. This is how we acknowledge the divine sovereign hand of God in our affairs. In whatever is happening in life. It's good grace. Good grace. Maybe that's where the exclamation comes from. Goodness gracious. Good grace. For this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. That you acknowledge him that he loves you and that even, even though it may seem bad, it's good. Because it's all of grace. This is where we live as a child of God. We live... In the grace of God. All right, so the next imperative is, and it's kind of long, this is where I put it do not ignore the Holy Spirit's prompting or what the Holy Spirit is doing. Do not quench the Spirit. Now, all of these are imperatives in the Greek, commands. Do not quench the Spirit. Spend it. Uh, extinguish. It's like a word that speaks of putting out a fire. Do not extinguish the spirit. Do not quench the spirit. Look for the spiritual side of life. Abide therein. Try to look for the fire of the Spirit in whatever you may be experiencing and be careful not to quench it. A fellow was once describing a real negative person. He said, well, he was, let's see if I can remember, he was born on the dark side of the moon and he was I forget what else, weaned on the dill pickle. And I don't know what, a series of things just sounded so bad. You don't want to be that person. You don't want to be the negative person in the room. You want to be the one who is at all winds, at all times rejoicing. You want to be the one who always sees good grace because it's all going to work out for the glory of God. As a matter of fact, this is where all of creation is headed. To the glory of God. 
That's what we're told at the end of the book, at the end of the scriptures, that God will receive glory. To him be the glory and the honor and the power forever and ever. And to the ages of the ages, he will always be the one who has been, who has received the glory. To him be the glory. I was, I was reminded, I was in a, a conference one time. And uh, part of the conference had to do with people, ministers and others, but it was mostly ministers, encouraging their brethren in a better way to say something. So you were invited to stand up in front of the group and say something. Which I would threaten them before I ever said a word. You know, so I'm going to get you. of a nine millimeter in my car. And I'll know when you sleep. Nah, I didn't do that. But you had to sit and think of something they could have said better, you know. And I remember this one guy. And he reminds me, and I'm going to use it personally. He reminds me of a little dog that we have called, her name is Mystery. She weighs 3.4 pounds, that's the truth. She's so old, she don't have any teeth except one. And, you know, you could wear her like a bow tie or something. But when I come into the house, she starts dancing and prancing and running. And that little 3.4 pound dog sounds like an 80 pound dog when she pounds her feet across the kitchen floor following me. Boom, 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 boom. She is so happy. Right? She inhabits my glory. <laughs> Can I say that without being blasphemous? She inhabits my glory. And I'm pleased. I am pleasured. I'm pleased. You see, this is where everything is headed in, in creation. That in all of everything, the final, the final thing is the glory of God and it pleases him. Why did he make me? Because it pleased him to do so. Why are things, it pleases him to, it's by the pleasure of God. And so I want to do my best to inhabit his glory. And if I do that, I don't ever want to quench the spirit. Now, what if I had turned around to a little mystery and stomped my foot and said, quit that? Well, her little tail would drop. You know, her countenance would fall. And I would have quenched her little spirit. That's probably the crudest illustration I've ever used in my life. Don't quench the spirit. I don't want to be that person. I told you some, one Wednesday night some weeks back about one of the books that Irma Brumbeck wrote. If life is a bowl of cherries, why am I always in the pits? 
See, I don't want to always be in the pits. I want to be a contributor to the fire of the Spirit. Apostolic command, do not extinguish, do not quench the Spirit. Do not ignore the wisdom of Scripture. Do not despise prophecies. Still a series of imperatives. Do not despise prophecies. Pro, before. Fetes, to make clear. To make clear before. To proclaim and make clear beforehand. Now the word speaks of the word of God that gives to us everything that we need beforehand and we should not we should not despise any of it to be out from to be to be out from it's Ek, ek, ek come from ek, it means out from. And to be, to be out from the impartation of it or the part of it. Do not despise prophecies. To forth tell. Here, here's, here's, here's a thought for you. The Word of God has already foretold the end of all things, the consummation of the age, life as we understand it presently. It's already foretold that. As a matter of fact, in my view, The scriptures describe, remember we talked about earlier, even in Thessalonians, the, the times and the seasons, the seasons come from a word, epochs, the, the critical parts of time, the, the, the chronos, that's just the ongoing of time. But then there's that critical point in time. The Bible describes those critical points of time. Teaches it to us. We've already passed many of them. So looking back on fulfilled prophecy, we glorify God. His word is true. We've seen it happen. And then we stand on those prophecies that are yet to be fulfilled. We know they are coming. And this helps us in our joy, in our grace joy. This helps us. Now the opposite of that is to despise it. To despise prophecies. There are people who don't like to talk 
about the kingdom of God, the coming kingdom. They don't like to talk even about death. They don't like to talk about life after death. They don't like to talk about heaven. They don't want you to, they don't want to, they don't want you to tell them about the coming judgment of God that is sure to fall on all of humanity from the first of us to the last of us. They don't want to hear that. Well, first and second Thessalonians are eschatological in, in, in a broad sense. They, Paul addresses end time things in both letters. And it might be that some there just didn't want to hear about some of the, But Paul says, hey, don't despise it. This is happiness to us. Why would any born again, regenerated believer, why would any believer despise what the Bible has described as the eternal purpose of God and our place in it, which includes the consummation, the new heaven, the new earth, and left to our imagination only what we can think of that might happen in a new heaven and a new earth. We should never dread that or despise it. It should be part of grace joy to us. Do not despise prophecies, but examine all things. Now the word examine up here uh, means to test. Dokumazite. Uh, it means to test to see if it's genuine. Somebody can come along today and try to convince me that the current social trends that are uh, current social trends that are an abomination to God written in his word can come along and try to tell me that this is actually good for humanity and good for people and all this kind of stuff. But I have to reject it by examining it because it is, it is completely opposite of the word of God. And so I have to reject it. I have to test it to see if it's genuine all things, all things, regardless. Speaking of prophecies, I have watched debates where agnostics would argue about what, what I guess, what they believe, or at least what they purport as being the real meaning of what is said prophetically in the Bible. It's unbelievable. But the Bible is of no private interpretation. In other words, the Bible stands against all of itself. And in knowing that it stands within all of itself, then finally you understand that it never contradicts itself. And you do this by testing to see to test the genuineness of something. So examine all things. Hold fast to that which is good. 
abstain from every form of evil. Now, abstain is the last word. Apekeste. Apo means away from. And to, to abstain, it, uh, let's see, what's a, to abstain, that which is, um, it would mean you reject something to make everything better. Reject every form of evil which increases that which is good to which you hold fast. So to abstain in the, the Greek text means that the reason something is rejected is so that something else grows. It, it's replaced in a greater way. Abstain, now the word form, I just, every form of evil, the word form means physical appearance. It's what you see. Every form of evil. So you don't, you don't connect yourself with the appearance of evil. That, look, we live in a reprobate world, I understand that, where, where that which is evil is called good and that which is good is called evil. But that has no effect on me because I'm a born again believer, the Holy Spirit lives in me and the Holy Spirit interprets the scriptures for me and my final test is the litmus test of Scripture. I don't care what it is in life. As a Christian, as a Christian who has, who has carefully studied his Bible for most of his life, since his teenage years, as a Christian based on the examination or the testing of something to see if it's genuine, I know when I see evil. I know. And I know it because of the litmus test of Scripture, because of examination. And you know when you write a, a thesis or when you write a dissertation, whatever, you have to if you make a statement of fact, you have to footnote that thing. You have, to, you have to give where that came from. You can't just create stuff. Well, when it comes to the appearance or form of evil, the physical appearance of evil, and I conclude that it's evil, my footnote is some scripture in the, in the, within the texts of the Bible. This is why it is evil to me. And it may not mean anything to you. I can't help that. But this 
This biblical definition means everything to me. And absolutely nothing will displace that from my heart and my mind and my spirit. This is what, now remember we, we, we set the tone at the beginning by talking about how Thessaloniki was a pagan society. And pagan religion just demonstrated all forms of evil behavior. And so now in Christ, the Thessalonians are warned about despising prophecies. All of that stuff comes under judgment someday. People can laugh at it. That's okay. Well, it's not okay, but what am I going to do about it? You won't be dead that long. You'll stop laughing. Encourage them to examine all things. Hold fast that which is good. Abstain from the physical appearance of evil. Now this would be difficult in a culture like the one at Thessaloniki. It would be difficult in that kind of culture. It's even growing increasingly difficult in our own culture today. But it shouldn't matter to the Christian. It shouldn't matter at all. It shouldn't matter at all because I don't despise the prophecies. I embrace them. Go ahead and kill me. What is death to me? My Lord has conquered death. He's guaranteed to me life forever. So what if kingdoms are raging into demonic control? I was told it would happen. I don't despise the prophecies. I embrace them. I love them. I hold fast to that which is good. And as we go further into life, increasingly I recognize that which is evil. And I am to be repulsed by it. And I am to give that up that the good might increase in my life. Understand that God is able to minister to the whole man. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you, make you holy, separate you. You can't make yourself holy. Holiness. A lot of people think of holiness as putting on a white robe and burning a candle all the time and, and mumbling something and drinking bread and water until you're dead. Look, you can't define holiness. God defines holiness. You can't create for yourself holiness. God does it. Himself sanctify or make you holy. Separate you to himself. That's what it means. To be, to be sanctified. Hagiasi. Hagiasi is holy. Hagiasi. To sanctify. To set you apart for himself. I am, I am among the chosen of God. God does that himself. I don't do that. God does it himself. And it is God's responsibility then to set me apart from everything else.
So God sanctifies me. God is the one who has made me holy. Now, two words here. Entirely and completely. They start with the same, and they're the first two Greek words I have highlighted up there. They're compound words, and they both start with the same Greek prefix, holos, which means to be whole, W-H-O-L-E. It, it literally means to be fully layered, completely layered. All of the layers are in place, and the last one has been placed. Holos, to be whole. Now, there are two words. Because the last of the compound word in each is a different Greek word. The first one is holoteles. Teleo, teles, means to be perfected or to be made complete. And it's a word that fits perfectly into this other word. Holocleron. Cleros. Last part of that word means the portion that has been assigned to you. This is very important. What God is saying to us through through the apostle is this. God has set you apart. Has sanctified you. He has called you and brought you to himself by his power and by his grace. And in bringing you to himself, he has set you apart. He has sanctified you. He has declared that you are holy because he has separated you from the rest of the world. Then two things naturally or spiritually perhaps fall. Number one, and I'll go with the second Greek word first. Halakleron. You have been assigned a complete portion. This is your life. Your life, I always say that nobody ever dies young or whatever. Every person, when he dies, he dies having completed his life. This is what God says here for the, for the Christian. You are assigned a portion that is the complete portion for you. I can't do things that some of you do in the work of the Lord. I'm not equipped. I'm not gifted. I'm not resourced. So I have this portion that has been assigned to me. Absolutely. Holy. Fully layered. Layer upon layer until the last layer is laid. Holos, that's what that word means. So, having received this complete assignment in my life, and it comes by the word, portionately, assigned by portion, layer upon layer. You know, the fact that I'm still living, now I don't want any more of these layers. But the fact that I'm still living means that there's another layer being laid on my assignment in life. And this is what God has sanctified me to. This is what God has separated me to. 
But there's a word that also fits within this word, and it's the first of those two Greek words, holoteles. Now, still same word, layer upon layer, holos, same word that starts it off, but then teles means to its completion. So God has sanctified me, called me out and sanctified me, has assigned me a complete portion that is working itself out in my life layer upon layer until the last layer is laid to its completion. Okay? God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you completely and entirely. Now what all does that mean? What all does that say about my body? And may your spirit and soul and body. What about that? Numa Kaisuke Katatoma, spirit, soul, body. That's the complete man. The physical man, the body, is sanctified. In my call to Christ, the spirit man is separated and sanctified to Christ. And then in the outworking of my salvation, the emotional man, the soulish man, is separated. So that in complete, in completion, my spirit and soul and body be preserved Now that word preserved, that's from the legacy and that's all right. Terethane, terethane. Today comes from a word that means to be watched over or guarded. It's kind of a military term, to be guarded. Spirit and soul and body be guarded, be watched over, complete. Without blame. To be blameless. At the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Faithful is he who calls you. Who also will do it. He does it. This is why we're here today to praise him. To offer praise corporately. And to receive more from his word. Through studying the Bible here and in Sunday school. In other ways, what does he do for me? He guards over me for what he has sanctified me to do completely and entirely until it's done, watched over to completion without blame. At the great white throne, I have nothing to fear. At that judgment bar of Jesus Christ. Now there's coming a judgment seat time. And it has to do with rewards. 
But the great white throne has to do with punishment. Because Christ's righteousness covers me, then I'm without blame. When, when he looks at me, he sees the righteousness of Christ abiding on me, even to the coming of our Lord Jesus, because he is the one who called me, and he is the one who does it throughout all of my life. Finally, honor God by honoring others. Brothers, pray for us. Greet all the brothers with a holy kiss. Now, let me stop right there. You know I believe in absolute obedience to the scripture. I'm going to cut you a break on this one. A warm and hearty handshake is plenty for me. Okay? God understands. I've wrestled with him about it. Greet me with a warm and hearty handshake unless you're Pat. And then she can lay a hot one on my lips if she wants to. That's fine. Hello, Pat. I haven't seen you since just a minute ago. Come here, darling. It's okay. It's all right. <laughs> Greet all the brothers with a holy kiss. Moving right along. I implore you by the Lord to have this letter read to all the brothers. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Be with you. Grace to you. Grace joyed. Grace given. Grace, grace, grace. I'm nothing. I'm only what God has called me and made me to be. And it is to the glory of God. It isn't to the glory of me. And your life in Christ is not to the glory of you. It is all to the glory of God. Some infinitely glorious day. Passing through and greeting the multitudes of the saints. Not a single one of us. will say about another of us. Boy, he was a tough one to get. Man, his, his salvation meant a lot more than mine did. Not a single one will say that. It'll be all the glory to God. I don't know. Maybe Jesse James died saved. I have no idea. Nero, I kind of doubt Nero, but I don't know. I'm glad I'm not the judge. I've told you this before. Spurgeon said, three, th three things will amaze me when I get to heaven. Number one, that some are there who I never thought would be there. Number two, that others are missing that I thought would be there. And number three, that I'm even there myself. <laughs> Amazing grace. Amazing grace. 
How sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. The older I get, the more wretched I realize that I am. Grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes? Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And he came into this world to save sinners. If you're here today without Christ, it is our sincere prayer that you don't leave that way. As you exit this room, you'll see a couple of doors open right just, just as you leave. And standing in those doorways, deacons and their wives, and they're ready to pray with you. If you would come to Christ, they'll pray with you. Maybe you're here already as a Christian. And God is leading you to come and be a part of Shiloh. We invite you to come and be a part. We'll take care of all the details. You speak to the deacons about that. But for now, prayerfully, would you bow your heads, close your eyes. All over this room, would you stand and we'll be dismissed in prayer.